0: Hello, and welcome to Refuge Church Podcast. If you don't know me yet, I'm Nicole, and I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge. This week, Brian kicks off our new series in the book of Jonah. He takes his ancient story of Jonah that most of us know, Storm, Fish, Nineveh, and he gives it a modern twist. He points out the humor and the satire used when this book was originally written. And he does a great job of blending the humor of the story with the spiritual truths that often mirror our own lives. So whether you're a seasoned believer or you're just curious about your faith, join us as we rediscover the beauty of spirituality one laugh track at a time.
1: My favorite Saturday Night Live skit of all time by far. The ones today, I don't even get them. Like the humor is over my head or something, but that is quality. I know some of you younger people in the room you've probably heard Living in a Van Down by the River. No idea where it came from. You're welcome. Now, you know. Anybody else fans of Saturday Night Live in the room? You go home on Saturday after church, you have dinner, you feel bad about yourself, so you stay up late and you watch Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> favorite skits? Any favorite Saturday Night Live skits? Chippendales. Chippendales. <laughs> Patrick Swayze, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Yes. I'm, I almost showed that because that's next. The Alex Trebek, the uh, Sean Connery, got to love it. Got any others? John Belushi. John Belushi back in the day for sure. Will Ferrell, I mean, the cheerleaders, the more cowbell. I almost did more cowbell for you, Justin. We love satire. We love comedy. And we laugh at them. But whether we know it or not, as we're laughing at them, we're kind of also laughing at ourselves because there is some truth and there is some reflection in the comedy that we see. Tonight, we start a new series. We're going through the book of Jonah, probably chapter by chapter, verse by verse, pretty close. And so let's do a little more audience participation, a little word association. Say the first thing that comes to your mind. When I say Jonah, you say Throw me, I just heard Becky. Her voice was the loudest. Let's try again, minus Becky. When I say Jonah, you say? Did nobody say fish? Brandy said whale, like she's straight up from where David's from. (laughs) Whale, fish, I say Goliath grouper, who knows? But that's what we think of when we think of this book of Jonah. Where do we usually encounter Jonah for the first time? Children's ministry. Back in the kids' ministry, Sunday school. And we'll hear the lessons, and they're usually designed to impart some sort of wisdom. You know, like be kind, be obedient. Jonah, at the end of the day, is some kind of hero of sorts. And so before we get into this series, let me set the record straight. First of all, the fish has a cameo role. She's like Christina Applegate in that. Just there for a brief moment or Stan Lee in a Marvel movie. It's just like, just there for a moment. Fish, not very important. Gets one verse, okay? Second thing I want to set straight is Jonah is not a hero. As we go through this story, he is deeply flawed. He is stubborn. He is prejudiced. He is consumed by anger and he is categorically disobedient to God. In other words... He's a pretty good reflection of each of us. The pride, the tribalism, the struggle with obedience, the struggle to extend God's grace to people we don't think deserve it. Traditionally, the book of Jonah has been viewed as a historical narrative, meaning these are real people and real events. That's been most of history, but most modern Bible scholars, now that we've learned more about language and how it's written, myself included, I'm not a scholar, but I believe this as well, view this story as a work of fiction. It's a satire. It's a Saturday Night Live skit. That's not to say there wasn't ever a prophet Jonah. He's mentioned a couple other places in scripture, but it's like a Saturday Night Live sketch where they take a known figure They amplify their flaws, they put them in extreme situations, and it leaves us laughing or perhaps cringing at the all-too-human character living in a van down by the river. So let me just give you the story, start to finish, as quick as I can so we have a basis of where we're coming from. Jonah gets told by God to go to Nineveh, and he's supposed to tell them, you guys got to change your evil ways. But Jonah's like, nope, God, I'm good. Buys a one-way ticket on a boat the opposite direction. And as soon as he does that, what happens in the Bible every time? Cue the massive storm. On the boat, everybody's freaking out. The sailors eventually toss Jonah overboard. That's where the fish comes in. The fish swallows Jonah. He's in the belly of a whale for three days. And he's like, okay, God, I get it. You were serious. And then he repents, sort of. Three days later, the fish pukes Jonah up onto the beach. He goes to Nineveh. All right, people, God says, you got to get your stuff together. And to Jonah's surprise, they actually listen to him. God spares the city, and Jonah is pissed because he wanted that city punished the end. That's the story. And it's meant to be this sort of absurd fictional story. It's meant to be comical. It's meant to make us laugh. But it's also to serve that dual purpose. It's meant to be a magnifying glass to zoom in on our own flaws and imperfections. And it's meant to be a mirror to see our reflection in the story. It's supposed to make you think, make you question, am I okay with a God who loves my enemies? A God who gives mercy to those who I would like to be punished? Are there biases in my life I need to confront Are there entire people groups that I've personally written off? Have I ignored God's calling in my life? Have I tried to run from God? Or do I only get the urge to pray when I'm in the belly of a fish? And so without further ado, chapter 1, verse 1, and it begins like this. The Lord gave Jonah, or gave this message (laughs) to Jonah. Glad you guys find that so funny. <laughs> Who gave this message? <laughs> that laugh track was actually supposed to be about three slides later, so <laughs> I'm kind of laughing now too. <laughs> Who gave this message to Jonah? The Lord. Yeah, it's not a trick question. Thank you, Becky. The Lord gave this demand to Jonah. Let's grasp the weight of that statement. This isn't a text message from God or an acquaintance. This is a command from the architect of the universe, the creator of time and space. God has delivered a message, this message, to Jonah. Jonah is a prophet. A prophet is God's voice to the people Typically, books of the prophets, whether it's Jeremiah or Isaiah or a minor prophet like Malachi, they were collections of God's spoken word through that said prophet. But the book of Jonah flips the script. Instead of a collection of God's decrees, we get a character study. Focus less on what God says through Jonah and mostly on the prophet Jonah himself. All right, let's do that one again, Peyton. Click on that slide. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. <laughs> there we go. That's the humor. <laughs> that... <laughs> no 8th century Jews in the room, B.C. tonight? Okay. That's supposed to be really funny. We should be laughing at that. Jonah's name means dove. A dove is innocent. A dove is Pure. Amite, his father's name, means faithfulness. And so the writer kicks off this sketch with an eye roll. Behold, God's word came to this innocent, faithful dove. Nod, nod, wink, wink. Because the people would know Jonah is no such thing. It'd be like me saying God's word came to the embodiment of humility. Donald J. Trump God's message was delivered to Joe Biden, the epitome of youthful energy. Irony, thick. And so what's God going to say to this innocent, faithful dove? He says in verse 2, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Verse 3, but... There should be a laugh track here too, but I didn't add one. But you guys can laugh. But, ha 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 ha. <laughs> should there ever be a but following a direct command from God? And so here we have our first magnifying mirror moment of our series. God speaks, God commands all of us. He does it through prayer, He does it through the Spirit. Most of all, he does it through his word. God says, go. And we say, but, and that's uncomfortable. No thanks. God says, love your neighbor, but, I don't like those people. God proclaims, I'll turn your graves into garden. And we say, but, you don't know how deep I'm buried in this sin. God assures us you are saved by grace and grace alone, and we say, "But, nah, I really need to earn it, God," or "But, I'm good, God, I don't need your grace." God promises faith as small as a mustard seed can move a mountain, and we say, "But, I'm holding on to my faith by a mere thread right now. Surely, I can't make any difference in this world." Romans eight thirty eight. This is God speaking. Nothing can ever separate you from my love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither your fears or your worries, not even the powers of hell can separate you from my love. And we say, but, I've been told God doesn't like people like me. But, I don't even love myself, so there's no way a God could love me. But, the mirror, it says, Jonah got up. Good start. And then he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Thank you, Mary. That's funny, right? He's trying to get away from God. Tarshish is the furthest edge of the known world. And so Jonah's big plan is to literally run as far away in the opposite direction so he can escape and hide from God. Remember, this guy is a prophet. He's in the God business. Shouldn't someone in that business know that you can't run from the everything, everywhere, all at once God? So as a reader, we should see this and we should say, Jonah, man, what's the game plan here? And we'd hear Jonah respond, it's simple. I'm just going to ghost God. I'm going to run away and I'm going to hide from the omnipresent, omnipresent. omniscient um, omniscient being. And here we again arrive at another mirror magnifying glass moment. God has been speaking to us through his word, through his spirit, and we try to hide, and we try to run. We'll try to hide in distractions. Somebody in the room may have subscribed to Peacock Network, and suddenly they're nine seasons into Below Deck, (laughs) all the while hiding from those quiet moments where God was trying to get us into his word. Or some of us hide in busyness. We pack our schedules, we double book, we triple commit, and we dodge the places where God likes to hang out, like his word, like in prayer, or even showing up to church on Saturday night. Now, a lot of us run to denial. You know, we get that calling from God, that nudge, that feeling. We should do this thing for God. But then we're in denial. We're like, nah, Now, it couldn't be God speaking, and we just shrug it off in denial. We run to substitutes. I don't really like what God is saying, so I'm going to run and find me a new life coach who can tell me what I want to hear. A lot of us run to spiritual laziness and procrastination. I heard you, God, but I'm in some me time right now. I'll give you a rain check on that. So it's a mirror. It's a reflection. Where are you running? Where are you hiding from God? says, Jonah went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. I'm just preaching these three verses tonight, which is a PR for me. I've never only preached just three verses. And so here's our three verses. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah takes a hard pass. Jonah runs from God. That's our three verses But there's so much to unpack in these verses. So let's start with this. What's the issue? What's going on here? Why is Jonah running from God? And to answer that, we have to know a little bit more about this city, Nineveh. To this point in the story, God's prophets had only been sent to God's people, to Israelites. Nineveh is a Gentile city. Problem number one. So right out of the gate, Jonah's calling from God is unprecedented. But wait, there's more. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians had tried to wipe out the Jews, not once, not twice, but three times. They tried to wipe out the Israelites off the face of the earth. And as they did that, this is not your run-of-the-mill bad guys here. Think the Medellin cartel, Pablo Escobar. Think the Nazis. Think the Taliban. And take all of that times ten. Let me give you an idea. The Assyrian king would decapitate his enemies and put their heads on display at the city gate. He'd strip off their skin and put it on the city walls. The soldiers of the army, after they would capture their adversaries, they would cut off their legs, they would cut off one arm, They would leave the other hand and arm. Why do you think that is? So they could shake their victim's hand while they died, and they were mocking them. Family members were forced to walk through the city with decapitated heads of their loved ones on poles. The Assyrians were known to burn children alive. These are very, very bad people. And so to put a modern twist on this and what's happening this weekend, Monday is... Columbus Day, or as most people know it now, Indigenous Peoples Day. And so imagine asking a Native American in the late 15th century to go warn the European settlers, the same ones who enacted genocide, the same ones who stole their land, the same ones who tried to erase their people and culture. Imagine asking them to go and save their oppressors from God's wrath that they deserved. Would that be a struggle to overcome that deep-rooted animosity, to help those who have harmed you and those that you love, to not question why a compassionate and supposed just God would even ask you to do such a thing? Let me go back and repeat verse 2, God's command to Jonah. God said, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment Against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. And so, at a first glance of this, we might be thinking, well, isn't that exactly what Jonah would want to do? To go and tell these people about God's judgment against their wickedness. But here's the thing in the Bible there's no reason to send a warning of God's judgment unless there's a chance that judgment could be prevented. Jonah knew this. He knows that if he announces God's judgment, it will give the people an opportunity to repent. And God has a history of being merciful when people repent. And so this isn't Jonah going to Nineveh laughing and gloating, you horrible, awful people, now experience the wrath of my God. This is God's attempt to rescue those horrible, awful people. And Jonah thinks, well, that's just dumb. I'm going the opposite direction. And so called to go east, Jonah heads west. Called to travel over land, what's he do? He goes by sea. Sent to a city, he buys a one-way ticket to the end of the world. A lot of reasons why. Nineveh is a military and cultural powerhouse. And so Jonah might be thinking, why would they listen to someone like me? Or maybe they'll kill me if I show up there. I mean, think about this. How long, for example, would a Jewish rabbi have lasted in 1994, 1941, if he stood on the streets of Berlin and called for Nazi Germany to repent? It's essentially what Jonah is being asked to do. But there's some theological problems in this for Jonah as well. Jonah wouldn't have been able to see any theological justification for this mission. An earlier prophet, Nahum, had already prophesied that God would destroy the city of Nineveh. If Nineveh repented, wouldn't that overturn God's prior promise to Israel and make Nahum a false prophet? Do you see the problems and the double talk? Jonah had a problem with the job that he was given. But in having a problem with the mission, it means he also then has a problem with the mission giver. There was no good reason, at least that Jonah could see, for God's request. And so he doubts. He doubts in the goodness of God. He doubts in the wisdom of God. He doubts in the justice of God. Anybody been there? Sitting in a doctor's office questioning why a supposed good God would allow someone to go through something like this? Or maybe the sudden loss of a loved one that throws you into that spiritual crisis, crushing even God's existence. Or maybe it's the breakdown of a relationship, a marriage, or a friendship, and you're wondering why, again, I suppose a loving God would even create a world with such heartache and turmoil. Or maybe it's your mental health struggles, you're living with anxiety and depression. because could sure make it hard to trust in the wisdom of a God who is supposed to bring about peace and comfort. And we don't even have to get started on the global suffering, the wars and the pandemics and the natural disasters, all the stuff we see on the news. And so, the big question maybe it's the big question in life for Jonah, for us and it's this Does God know best or do I? And the default mode of the human heart is I do. I do not trust God's goodness. I do not trust God's wisdom. I do not trust God's judgment. And so we run. Let me illustrate this. In Luke chapter 15, it's in the New Testament. We know of it as the parable of the prodigal son. And it's a bad title because it's actually a parable about two sons who in two different ways run from their father. The younger brother is the one we know of, the prodigal son, He tries to escape his father's control, so he grabs his inheritance, and he does like Jonah. He runs away as fast as possible. He rejects his father's value and everything his father holds dear because he says, I know better. And so his life out in Vegas is one big party until the money runs out, the addiction takes hold, the condo gets foreclosed, his friends all leave him. And he finds himself, not in a belly of a well, but waiting in a muck of a pigsty. Just another way of saying rock bottom or sheol or whatever word you want to use. It's the younger brother. Then we have the older brother, and he stays home with dad. He obeys the father, and on the surface, it appears he is an example of obedience and faithfulness. But don't be fooled. He's keeping score. Every chore Every rule followed what's in it for me. His loyalty to the father isn't driven by trust. It isn't driven by love. It's transactional loyalty. I obey so I should receive. And story story goes when the prodigal son comes home, the father throws a party and the elder brother explodes in anger because his tally sheet just got thrown out the window. It doesn't mean anything showing us he too had run from his father. He might not have left the house, but his heart has been miles away. Both sons did not trust the father's love. Both sons tried to run away and escape in their own way. One did so by breaking every single rule, and the other did so by hiding behind the rules. So Let me take this a step further. Paul talks of this struggle of the human heart in Romans chapter 1 through 3, which is this beautiful rhetorical argument that Paul is building throughout the beginning of the book of Romans. So Romans 1, Paul talks about the prodigals. He says, "...since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge their God..." Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. That's the prodigal's. Romans 2, he starts talking about the elder brothers. You, call, you who call yourself Jews are relying on God's law. And you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants and you know what is right because you have been taught the law. And so Paul examines the prodigals who are visibly distant from God. He examines the elitists who were near to God only out of entitlement. And then in chapter 3, he delivers this amazing, striking conclusion. Romans 3.10, he says, And no one is righteous. All have turned. All have ran away and tried to hide. So he says in one corner, we have the elder brother. They're checking off their moral to do list as if salvation is some merit badge they can earn. And they're running towards that false sense of self righteousness, running further away from God. And in the opposite corner, he has the prodigals running as fast as they can in the opposite direction. But Paul's knockout punch is this, that both are doing the exact same thing. Both are running from God, filled by that ancient lie that was spun all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 by the serpent. God can't be trusted. And so Jonah is just a classic example of both of these methods Of running from God. Chapter one and two that we're gonna go through, he takes a turn as the prodigal son. He disobeys God and literally runs from the Lord. Chapters three through four, he takes a turn as the elder brother. He does obey God's command, but he's still trying to control God, still trying to control the narrative. And when God accepts the repentance of the Ninevites and welcomes those prodigals home, Jonah's distance from the father's heart is again exposed. Jonah is a runner. He runs as the prodigal prophet one minute. He runs as a self-righteous servant the next, and he oscillates between the two. Sound like anyone you know? We all have on our running shoes. Sometimes we're sprinting away from God as fast as we can. Sometimes we're jogging along at his side, but inwardly we are resentful. That's the beauty of this story that we're going to spend the next four weeks in. It's that mirror to look at ourselves and stop us in our tracks. It's that magnifying glass to expose our sins and our flaws so that we can turn our hearts back to the Father. And what we will find is that no matter how far away we've run from God, the return trip is just one step. Because he's been beside us the entire time. Because as we sing, he's never stopped coming after us. And so just like Jonah was sent to Nineveh to rescue some horrible, awful people, God had a bigger rescue plan in mind. He sent the ultimate Jonah, not just for a city, but for humanity. And unlike Jonah, Jesus didn't run away. He ran straight towards the horrible, awful people of humanity, and he gave his life to rescue us. I'm going to ask the band to come up because I want to close with a song of worship and praise that just centrals around this message that we had tonight. It's called Run to the Father. Run to the Father. I want that to be our anthem tonight, this week, this month, to stop running away, turn around, and begin running towards the Father whose arms are so open wide, ready to receive us. Or maybe even better yet for some of us. Maybe tonight is tonight. We retire those worn out running shoes. We take them off. We unlace them. We sit them to the side. We take that one step towards God. And then we just rest. No more running. Rest in his grace that's already ours. Clinging to the wisdom he's given us. Leaning on his goodness. Holding to the truth that God wants nothing but the best for those he came to save. Won't you stand? Let's proclaim that together tonight.
0: so much for listening if you'd like to join us in person we meet every saturday night at 5 30 at 1901 brantley road fort myers you can catch all of our live stream on facebook or youtube at refuge church fort myers and we're also on instagram at refuge.church thank you so much for listening we'll see you next week